turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 today as we continue this God Space series. Uh, I want to remind you as you're turning there that if you are part of our kids' ministry as a volunteer, you're interested in being part of that, we have a brief meeting right after church. We'll buy your lunch, have activities for your kids to play with, um, but just some opportunity available there where we can connect you. Um, also want to let you know that in the last nine days that you as a church family have helped five families through the Finding Hope Center. That's pretty awesome. Just through the past nine days, you helped um, two single mothers with children under 18 months old and provided them diapers and wipes and some food and several other items, toys we were able to bless them with. This past week, uh, you pretty much furnished an entire house uh, for a family that needed help with that. So we sent them away with a U-Haul full of furniture and beds and mattresses. It was awesome. Um, you provided two other families with mattresses. We loaded up a minivan with twin mattresses this week, gave some folks some food, some robot sheets, which they were pumped about, because what kid does not want not just white sheets, they want robot sheets, which is incredible. Gave them some food, and one family was super stoked because our volunteers put in their hand a Jesus Storybook Bible which is a Bible that from cover to cover tells the story of Scripture, but in a way that it points back to Jesus through every story. I think the theme of that Bible is uh, uh, Jesus whispers in every, every story of the Scriptures or something like that. And so, friends, nine days, five families. Uh, it matters what God is doing through the Finding Hope Center and uh, keep it up. We've been able to have spiritual conversations with folks, invite them to church, just converse with them. Um, God is so, so kind to us. Well, in Galatians chapter 3, as we continue uh, this series, God's Space, if you want to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, we're going to read verses 15 through 18. They'll be on the screen if you'd like to follow along there as well. And Paul writes these words as he continues talking to the Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, and he does not say and to seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. It's confusing, isn't it? We'll explain this in a second. Verse 17, my point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, and I love this last phrase, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for the gathering of believers in your house. And God, I pray now as we process through these scriptures, as we walk through these scriptures together this morning, that your spirit would speak to us. God, would you open our ears this morning to hear from you? God, would you soften our hearts, not just to hear your word, but to uh, receive your word in our hearts, God, so that we're not only hearers, but doers. So that when we leave here today, God, we didn't just hear another message, we didn't just read another passage in the scriptures, but God, that we would leave here motivated, encouraged, and ready to live out the truth that we've encountered. Jesus, move among us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of my most favorite pastime games, and I think it is for many people, it seems to be one of the most favorite pastime games for folks. Maybe if you're standing in line, you're waiting for your food at a restaurant or anywhere where you're just waiting is the game Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're all familiar with that game, hopefully. If you're not, something's wrong with you. But the, the, the rules of that game are pretty simple. We all know this, hopefully. If you don't, I'm going to teach you a new game this morning. Are you ready? Paper beats rock. Rock beats scissors. Scissors beats paper. Okay. 
We all good? You're here this morning? Okay, we know the game. We know the rules of rock, paper, scissors. And I did a little research this week. Apparently, this game has been around for like almost 2,000 years in different versions. But what's interesting about rock, paper, scissors, I'm 33 years old. I know I look a little bit younger than that. Thank you. But for 33 years, the rules have been the same. Some of you that are a little bit more seasoned, notice I didn't say older, but you're more seasoned than me. I'm sure when you were a child, if you played rock, paper, scissors, the rules have always been the same. That's the thing about that game, is no matter where you play it, when you play it, it's always rock, paper, scissors, and the rules are the same. The same thing happens over and over and over and over. When well, my house, when we play rock, paper, scissors, you would assume that the rules are the same, right? I wish it was that simple. You see, in my house, the rules tend to go like this. We'll sit around somewhere, maybe with my, typically with my oldest daughter, and we'll sit there and we'll play rock, paper, scissors. I'm the champ at the Taylor house, just so y'all know. If you want to play after church, like I'll own you in rock, paper, scissors. So I'll, bam, bam, bam. Man, I'll throw down scissors, and Sophia's got paper, and like crushed her. Then we'll go again. Bam, 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 bam. I'll throw down a rock, and she throws scissors. Bam, crushed her again. And we'll go bam, bam, bam. I'll throw down paper, and obviously she had a rock. So dad won again. But here's what often happens with my oldest daughter, Sophia. We'll sit down and we'll play a couple rounds of rock, paper, scissors, and then we'll sit there. All right, baby, here's the last time. This is the last round we're going to play. Rules are always the same in rock, paper, scissors until we sit there. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. You know what my daughter does? What is this? Do you know? Somebody said it. Apparently you're a cheater too. I'll say, Sophia, what is that? She'll say, dynamite. I'll say, that's not part of the rules. To which my nine-year-old daughter every time goes, yeah, I changed them. <laughs> and that's a silly story, but that's Galatians 3. That's our verses this morning. Because what's going on here is it seems like the rules have always been the same for these people. And the Judaizers, one of the accusations that we're going to address this morning that they were making against Paul technically against God, and confusing the Galatians with is God changed the rules on us. The Galatians are saying the rules have been the same forever, but all of a sudden it seems like God changed it up on us. And the driving question that we've been addressing for the past, we're in week like 11, I think, of this God Space series, is Paul's really addressing this idea of how does somebody get right with God? We saw in the beginning of chapter 3 when Pastor Joe taught just a few weeks ago that Paul made the argument that righteousness or right standing with God comes through faith. That's by the grace of God through the faith of you and I that ultimately we can have the right standing with God again. Then we saw last week as we journeyed through verses 10 through 14 that Paul kind of bucks against this argument that righteousness comes through following the law. He says, no, 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 that's an impossibility. That doesn't work that way because if you remember this phrase, let me read it to you. Self-effort and an attempt to be, to be righteous will only lead to separation from God. My self-effort and your self-effort and an attempt to be righteous before the eyes of God will ultimately only lead to separation from God. There's nothing that I can do, no, no thing that I can do in the sight of God, me personally, that will ultimately make me right with him. It's only found in Jesus Christ that ultimately makes me right with God. But now here what we see in verse 15 is this conversation takes a little bit of a shift. Because Paul is starting to address um, what these false teachers, these Judaizers, were likely saying to these Galatian believers. Because it seems like, based on what he tells us here in these few verses, 
that the Judaizers, these Jewish false teachers, were saying that the means and avenue of salvation has changed. God changed the rules on us. And they were frustrated. You see, for these people, they would have affirmed what Joe taught just a couple weeks ago. That grace through faith, as was seen in Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, yes, that was true. That was a means of salvation. But then they would go on to probably argue that when Moses appeared and God presented the law to Moses, that God changed the rules. That it was no longer grace through faith, but now it was adherence to the Mosaic law. And then now they're coming back, the Judaizers, and probably saying, God changed the rules on us again. Because at once it was grace through faith, then it was law, and now it's grace through faith again in Jesus. God's changing the rules over and over and over. What are we to do with this? At least what we should do is believe grace through faith, but also we should follow the law as well. Wouldn't that make sense in us getting right before God? And Paul reminds us here in verse 15 through 18, no, 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 God didn't change the rules. No, the law served a purpose, but God was not changing the the rules on us. The law exposed how much you needed grace. The law exposed how much you needed God to extend grace through you by faith in him. The law exposes how unrighteous we are. It was never meant to be a means of salvation. It was meant to expose how much we needed a way of salvation. There's a difference. And so I want to quickly show us here in these few verses how God never changed the rules and the argument that Paul makes here. So let me give you three points. You can uh, jot these down if you're a note taker. First off, as Paul reminds them of the covenant in verse 15, notice what he says again. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. So what's going on here? To understand here, verse 15, we've got to jump back to Genesis chapter 12 if you want to flip there in your Bible. In Genesis chapter 12 is where we see God first make covenant with Abraham. Several weeks ago, we looked at this story, Genesis 12, Genesis chapter 15, where we talked about God's initial call of Abraham. If you remember, Abraham was a polytheistic pagan man. Yet God gracefully calls him out of his country on faith to follow Yahweh, that's the personal name of God, to this new land, and then he makes Abraham a promise. He says, through your seed, all nations and peoples of the earth will be blessed. This was what's known as the uh, Abrahamic covenant. This is an important moment in redemptive history with what God was doing with Abraham. Fast forward three chapters, Genesis chapter 15. So we were in Genesis 12, Genesis chapter 15. God reaffirms, This covenant with Abraham, it'll be on their screen if you want to read this too. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. So God took Abraham outside and he said, look at the sky and count the stars. That's why I wore my star shirt today, just for you folks, all right? He says, count the stars if you're even able to count them. What a cool phrase. The Bible actually says in Psalms that God holds the expanses of the universe in the palm of his hand. He says, hey, Abraham, big boy, step outside. Let me show you something. Can you count those things? No, you can't. That's how powerful I am. Then he says to him, uh, your offspring, they're going to be that numerous. That promise that I made to you three chapters earlier in Genesis chapter 12, where I made a promise to you that through your seed and your descendants, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Let me remind you of that again. And what does verse 6 say? Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
You see, we could continue to trace this covenant through the descendants of Abraham throughout the book of Genesis, but what's the point that Paul's making for us in Galatians 3? That a covenant is a binding contract. That if you make a contract with somebody, my Bible says a validated human will. Your Bible might say contract. Your Bible might say covenant. It doesn't matter. It was reflective of this binding agreement that was unchangeable. That if you make covenant with somebody, you're going to be true to your word to uphold what you said. Now, this illustration is going to fall short, but stick with me because I know you all know this. You all remember the pinky promise? Remember this? When we were kids and you wanted to make an agreement with a buddy or you're going to promise something, what would you do? You locked pinkies and that was the pinky promise. But if you wanted to take it one step further and make it a binding agreement, you remember what you did? You pinky promise and then you kissed it. Some of you are like, we never did that. <laughs> well, you had a terrible childhood growing up, right? That's what we always did. If you wanted to make the pinky promise binding, you pinky promise and then you kiss it. Some of y'all were weird. I know some of y'all did this. We did this too. If you wanted to do this, what would you do? You'd spit in your hand? Okay, the fact that y'all got more excited about that than the pinky promise and kissing means that you're gross, all right? But you'd spit in your hand, and then what would you do? You'd shake on it. And that sealed the contract, man. We were in covenant together. That's what's going on here in Galatians 3. Paul says that God makes covenant with us. It's sealed with us. And if God makes that kind of an agreement, you can expect him to uphold it. He's not going to change it. He's not going to cast it aside. He's not going to make additions to it. Why? Because you don't break a pinky promise. That's just the rules. God's not going to break a promise or a covenant to his people. Why? Because a covenant kept is reflective of a person's character. You know that? If I make a covenant with you and I break it, that's reflective of my character. But if I keep it, that's reflective of my character too. So if God makes covenant with his people, it's reflective of his character that he will uphold what he said. And here's where Paul points us in verse 15. If you expect that from men, from people to uphold their covenants, how much more should we expect from our God? He's not going to change it. He's not going to add to it. There's going to be no additions to the covenant that he made. No, the covenant with Abraham was that righteousness is found by the grace of God through faith. Did God change the rules? And Paul says, no, 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 no. No matter what the Judaizers may tell you, God never changed because that would go against his very character. God is constant and he's the same. Therefore, his covenant is going to be upheld. He never changed the rules on us. Point number two, reminder of the promise. Reminder of the promise. Look again at verse 16, the first part. He says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. A couple of things I want us to, to kind of pull out of just that little section there. God made the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, continually repeated it throughout the book of Genesis, repeated it to Abraham's descendants. What was the reminder? Abraham, I made a covenant with you that's continuing through your generations because the promise includes your generations. It was carried through all of those generations. The reminder that our God does not change. The way of faith, I'm going to say this a thousand times over because your eternity is dependent upon this. The way of right standing with God has always been by the grace of God through faith. 
Friends, we got to know that this morning. There's nothing you can do to get right with God on your own accord. It's because God is graceful to you and he allows you to have faith in him that you can have a right standing with God and an eternity in a home called heaven. That's it. That's where we are. And Paul's going to say it over and over and over. We got to make sure that we understand that. But he goes on to say here, look again at verse 16. He does not say, second part of verse 16, and to seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. What's Paul saying here? There's a lot of understandings of this verse. I'm going to give you the simplest one, I think. God didn't have to make a new promise with every generation. Okay, God didn't have to make a new promise with every generation. The promise was simply repeated. So Abraham had a kid named Isaac. When Isaac came along, God did not have to establish a new covenant with Isaac. It didn't work that way. What did God do? He reaffirmed his covenant with Isaac's dad, Abraham. And then Isaac carried it to the next generation. When, when, when Jacob came along, the son of Isaac, God did not have to establish a new covenant with Jacob. Instead, what did he do? He reaffirmed the covenant that he had already made with Abraham and Isaac, and now it was carried through Jacob's line. God's means of salvation, the means of righteousness, how we get right with God, didn't change with every successive generation. Instead, the covenant still stands. And friends, here's the difference for us. We live on the other side of the resolution of the covenant. That's so cool to me. If you don't think that's cool, man, think about this. These folks are living on this side of the covenant. And God's saying, righteousness through faith, grace extended to you, faith, 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 and a coming Messiah. And they believed him. We live on the other side of the covenant. And God says, faith, 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 faith. Righteousness is found through faith and a Messiah that came. Let me make sure we see this this morning. Somebody bought me a whiteboard. Actually, I bought it myself. And you all shouldn't have because now I have to use this all the time. I think most Christians don't understand this because one question Joe and I get constantly is before the cross, how did people get to heaven? It's never changed. God's always been the same. So watch this. If you have the beginning of time right here, then you have all of human history right here going off into eternity. What's the pinnacle of all human history? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Just over 2,000 years ago, God stepping out of heaven voluntarily, taking on a sin debt that he did not owe for you and for me, paying a sin debt we owed to God. Ultimately, when he died on that cross, he paid the sin debt, rose from the grave three days later, securing a home in heaven for you and for me. If I repent of my sin and I put my faith in Jesus, I can be right with God. But watch this. You and I live here. That's you. We'll make sure you understand that. That's you. Now, this is, this is what's so important. I want to make sure we get this this morning. Most of the time, we understand that how do I get right with God? I look back on what Jesus did. I'm looking back in faith on what Jesus did. I'm trusting in the promise of God that he says, if I believe what Jesus did here, that I can be right with him. It's still a promise that I have to have faith in. What about everybody down here? Let's, let's say Abraham. Old Abe. How did Abraham get right with God? He looked forward in faith to what God was going to do. And he believed the promise that God would send a Savior for his behalf. And how did he get right with God? He believed in faith 
what God was going to do. We believe in faith what God already did. The plan never changed. The plan's always been Jesus. Are we on the same page there? That's why Paul has to continue to reaffirm this to the Galatians. He said God didn't change anything. The plan's always been the same. We're just looking from different angles. The plan's always been righteousness found through faith. Verse 17, Paul says, my point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, doesn't invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. What's Paul saying? That when the law arrived through Moses 430 years later, likely from Abraham's first encounter in Genesis chapter 12, don't get caught up on the date. He says, when Moses arrived at the law, the covenant was still standing. God didn't change anything. I'm going to say this over and over. So when you leave here today and somebody says, hey, what was the message about? You're going to say, God didn't change anything. What didn't he change? How salvation occurs. What didn't he change? How righteousness happened. Paul says the promise was never canceled. It's still the same, y'all. And then point number three, a reminder of our inheritance. Look again at verse 18. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it's no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. You see, Paul closes out this section of, of, of Galatians 3. Next week, we're going to dive into the law and what it means and what its purpose was, all that surrounding it. But he closes this out with a logical conclusion that if God promised it to Abraham, he didn't change his mind. He's just saying the same thing over and over and over. That right standing can't be based on the law because that self-effort, self-effort always leads to separation. It's never going to get right with God based on your own self-effort. It's never going to work. But God expressed grace to humanity through Abraham, promising an inheritance that spans generations, and we are recipients of that same thing. We look back to Jesus. He looked forward to Jesus, but it's still a promise based on faith. And what's the inheritance? It's not heaven. Do we know that? It's not heaven. That's a perk of the inheritance. The inheritance is a right relationship with God the Father. Friends, the greatest gift that God ever gave you is the opportunity to be right with him again. The greatest gift he ever gave us was restoration of Genesis 3. It's not heaven. Heaven's a benefit of it. It was Francis Chan who once asked, if you could have all the eternal glories of heaven, but Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to go? When you truly understand salvation, the answer is no. I don't want to go someplace where Jesus isn't. That's my inheritance, is a right standing with God, a right standing with Jesus. And Paul reaffirms for us this morning that God always keeps his promises. He doesn't change his word. He kept a promise on the most important thing that we could ever imagine, and every other promise that he gives us in Scripture, he's going to hold true to it. You can stake your claim in the fact that Jesus is going to come back someday for his church. That's a promise. You can stake your claim in the fact that someday you're going to get to dwell in a place called heaven for all eternity. That's a promise. You can stake your claim in so many promises of the scripture. Why? Because God doesn't change. And if he says it, it's going to come to pass. Let me close with this one story and we're done. I thought this was a fitting close. When I was doing some preparation this week, I came across this. It gave me goosebumps and I don't cry much, but my eyes got a little misty. It said a friend was telling a story of two little girls. They were playmates, classmates. And one day after school, they were sitting in a corner and they were counting the pennies that had been given, them, given to them by their parents. One of the little girls reached into her pocket and she pulled out this little stack that had five pennies in it. She laid them there on the, the table that they were sitting at and she said, I have five pennies. The other little girl reached into her pocket and she pulled out a stack of pennies. She had 
five pennies in her pocket too, and she laid those on the table. She looked at her friend and she said, as she laid her five pennies down, she said, one, two, three, four, five. I have ten pennies. The little girl looked back at her and she says, wait a second, no, 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 you don't. I have five pennies and you have just as many as I do. You only have five pennies. You have five pennies just like me. Y'all, this is what got me. The little girl looked back at her friend and she said, yeah, but when I left for school this morning, my daddy said when I get home that he's going to give me five pennies too. And so actually I do have ten pennies. I just don't have the rest yet. That's the promise of God. You see, we take and believe in faith things that God told us are already true, and they're ours now. We may not have hold of them yet, but they're ours now because God keeps his promises. And because he's a promise keeper, things that I might not have hold of yet are already mine because of what Jesus did for me. Eternity, all of those things, they're mine because God said so. And God always keeps his promises. And friends, we understand these things this side of the cross. My goodness. Can I encourage you today as we get ready to pray? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, understand the bad news is this, is that you are a sinner. The Bible says that. The Bible is abundantly clear that we are all sinners. And the worst news to that is that because we are sinners, we are eternally separated from God the Father. That means our relationship with him is fractured, destroyed, and separated, and there's nothing that we can do to fix it. Our own self-effort to restore our relationship with God is in complete vain. There's nothing we can do. But what's the good news? The good news is Jesus did something about it for us. That when we couldn't get back to God, God came to us. Fascinating. He died on a cross to pay a sin debt that I owed to a holy God. They placed him in a tomb, and three days later, he came back from the dead, unreal, and secured an eternal home with him in heaven for you and I. What's the best news? You ready? That's available to you. That payment for sin is available to you. That opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ and have your relationship with God the Father restored is available to you. And all you have to do is in this moment as we pray, is you simply have to say, God, I understand I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior whose name is Jesus. Save me. And on the authority of God's word, he will. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for these few moments we've had together in your house. God, I pray now as we sing this song to you, that God, it's a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven. God, that it would echo with the chorus of the angels. God, I pray for my friends here this morning that are maybe unsure of their salvation. They're unsure if they have that relationship with Jesus. They're unsure if they're right with you. They're right there, Lord, wherever they're seated, that they would simply cry out those words, acknowledging that they're a sinner, acknowledging that they need a Savior, and asking you to restore their relationship with God. Thanks so much, Lord, for your word and inviting us to be your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.